0: Alrighty, well this morning we are going to finish up our series in the book of Proverbs. November is one of the months that you have to read two chapters at the end because there's only 30 days in it. But if you like, coming December 1st, you could start reading through Proverbs all over again. Take one chapter a day, and by New Year's Eve, you'd read through the whole book again. It has that benefit to it. And today we're going to be in in chapter 31, verses 1 through 9. I'm sure you've heard of a Proverbs 31 woman. And I know lots of women are really tired of hearing about Proverbs 31 women. And so we're going to focus this year on a Proverbs 31 man. It's funny that we skip over the first nine verses as if they don't matter. But if if we're going to take Proverbs 31, 10 through 31 and say, oh, women, you need to live up to some stuff here, which we don't hear, but I've I've known of other places that do. These are descriptive things, I think, and things to ascribe to and desire to be. But Proverbs 31, 1 through 9, we should apply to the men of the church. Because even though it's focused on a king and how a king should behave, I think we can take from it Principles, not just for the men, but for the women of our congregation too. And what we're going to be looking at this morning is living a life of purpose. And how we should go about doing that. And what what matters. You know, when you think about it, these nine verses, uh, as we see in verse 1, let's just go ahead and and read what verse 1 tells us. The words of King Lemuel, the oracle which his mother taught him. And so these are the words that his mother taught this king, uh, presumably as he was growing up or as he was coming into his reign. These are the things that she felt were important for her son to focus on. These were the things that she was worried about as he became somebody beyond her reach, in in essence, as he is the king and now she is his subject. These are the things that she wanted him to focus on. And there's a lot of question, just as we had in Proverbs 30 with who is Agar. Well, who is Lemuel? Who is this king, Lemuel? It is considered possible that this is a special word for Solomon, a special nickname maybe for Solomon. The word Lemuel means, uh, it, it, comes, it you could combine it from two words meaning to him, and then El meaning God, so potentially to the one who God has spoken to, you know, to him, that God has done something to him or for his life. Um, so it's possible we could say it is for Solomon. Some people have taken it to, to be a, a completely unknown king who was king of Massa, a, a region of people north of Israel. Uh, the word oracle comes from, is translated from the word massa, which means uh, a load or a burden, a tribute. And, and this was a, a word that was the same word used for the oracle of agar earlier. But some people are saying maybe instead of it being an oracle, maybe he is actually Lemuel, the king of massa. We really don't know. But what we do know is that that just as the words of agar were good enough and wise enough and important enough to be included in the, Sol- in the Proverbs of Solomon. Whoever King Lemuel is, his words have been proven through the centuries and even through uh, the millennium that his words are true and wise. And so we should listen to. But also just consider this, the fact that uh, for, th- for the majority of Proverbs, who has been talking to who? It has been a a father to a son, has been the focus. And sometimes the mother is invoked, you know, don't bring shame upon your mother. Well, let's just pause for a moment and recognize that these are the words that his mother taught him. This is the instruction that King Lemuel got from mommy. What does she have to say to him and what does she have to say to us? She begins in verse 2 with a very poetic phrase, What, O my son? And what, O son of my womb? And what, O son of my vows? Now, on the one hand, that's very poetic and, and it really doesn't tell us much, but she is focusing on, You are my son. You are the son that I bore. You are the son that I have promised. To take care of. You are the son of potentially my promises, as in the wedding vows. You are you are my son. I bore you. I carried you. I've worked hard for you. You have a lot of importance to me, and I really want you to do well in life, is, is the idea. There's this, this thrust, this weight that is put on it by this repetition. You know, sometimes when I really want to get a point across to one of my, usually it's one of my sons, not necessarily I don't think I do it to my daughter too much, but sometimes I will point out, you know, we all know Amy's their mom. You know, they call her mom or mommy all the time. But every now and then, sometimes I have to stop and say, Hey, she carried you for nine months. She fed you for a year from her own body. You need to treat her a little bit better than you're treating her, is the, is the thrust of my argument. You don't make claims like that for a dad. You know, hey, uh, I watched your mom give birth to you for crying out loud. You better listen to me. You know, it doesn't have the same weight. But sometimes, sometimes, especially it seems to be with boys or men, you have to remind them, hey, That's your mom. That's the person that gave you life. That's kind of what she's saying here. What, oh, my son? What, oh, son of my womb? What, oh, son of my vows? She really wants him to pay attention to her. She deserves. It doesn't matter that he's king. It doesn't matter that everybody else bows down to him. It doesn't matter that everybody else listens to him. He better listen to her. Because she's his mom. And this is what she wants him to do. In verse 3 she tells him, do not give your strength to women or your ways to that which destroys kings. Do not give your strength to women. Do not pour out all of your vitality and all of your efficiency and your wealth and your strength, everything you have. Don't. Don't give it to women. Notice it's women plural. Or your ways, the way that you walk in life. And this is one of the reasons why I have a really hard time believing this is Solomon. What did Solomon do? He gave his strength to women. He gave his ways to that which destroys kings. He was wise when he was young. But over time, he made a lot of marriages, which were, were political back then. It was how you made agreements with nations around you. You got married. But he gave his ways to that which destroys kings. He gave his strength to women. And when he got older, they led him away from God and toward their idols. And when he died, when his reign was over, God ripped his kingdom in two. As a judgment on Solomon. Rehoboam might have been the king that did it. But it was a judgment on Solomon because he didn't listen to this verse if he even knew about it in his life. It is not good for him. She does not want her son to give his strength to women or his ways to that which destroys kings. And I don't think that which destroys kings is, is, is just uh, following after and delighting in women. I think you can take verse 4 into this as well. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine. And and, and so what she's talking about here is what do we, if you picture kings, especially kings of the Old Testament time, what do we picture them doing? Well, we picture them having a lot of wives and a lot of concubines, having a harem and having parties and drinking and, and eating and having a good time. And that's just that. That's the gist of what she's getting at here. Don't give your strength to women. Don't, don't give your ways to that which destroys kings. Don't don't get off track on the way that you should be walking. All throughout Proverbs, what we looked at that you know God leads us in His ways. There has been the the praise, the prayers to lead us in Your ways on Your paths. That God will make Your paths, Your ways straight. Don't give your ways, the way you live your life, to that which will destroy you, that destroys kings. A king who, who is full of focusing on his his wives and his harem and his concubines, he is seeking his own pleasure and he is not worried about the reign of the country. In fact, when we go to the book of Esther, when uh, you have this beauty pageant for finding a new wife, part of was because the king, extra-biblical we know, he had just had a great defeat. He was down in the dumps. His, his advisors, his courtiers, were trying to perk the king up. And the best way they knew to was to get a lot of young, pretty girls into the harem for him. And so he's not focused on what's going on in the world around him. He's not focused on what his, his governors are doing. Not until his young, pretty, but also God-fearing wife, Esther, brings him in. And how how does she approach to him, hey, did you realize that there's a man in your court who is seeking to destroy a lot of people under your reign? She feasts him for multiple days so that he can be so happy she can say, why do you want to kill me? Because Haman wants to kill me. See, a king that gives his ways to that which destroys kings, a king that is so focused on giving his strength to women, a king who is drinking too much or desires to to go to wine. It is not for kings. It is not for kings to drink wine. It doesn't mean he can't drink wine, it doesn't mean he can't have it with his dinner. That's what people did. They drank wine. Jesus drank wine. What she is talking about is where it is so your life is so full of it, as as we will see in uh, verse five, we're told that they will drink and forget what is decreed. It, it's so full of it that you lose your way. And so, what what she is telling him and what she is concerned about, because no doubt she has seen throughout history and throughout her years kings who have been brought down because they sought only their own pleasure. And they forgot, and they didn't take care of their kingdom. And so she is telling her son to watch out for these things, these people that can, can destroy you. Now, now to have a wife, we are told in Proverbs, is a good thing. And, and a man who, who has a good wife has found favor from the Lord. She's not talking about being attracted to women and having a wife. What she's talking about is the guy who gives himself over to his passions. That's what destroys him. And and we have to be similarly concerned to watch out that we don't give ourselves to those things that will destroy us as well. And and so her concern for him is, is don't give yourself to these things. Don't give your strength to women. Don't give your ways to that which destroys kings. Don't drink too much wine. Avoid And for us, I would say the thing we need to learn from that is to avoid those pursuits that will waste your life. That which will destroy kings. That which will destroy yourself, your life. There are are passages and things that we can pursue in life that when we get to the end of our days, we can just look back and say, I have squandered it all. And unfortunately, I think, in our society, in our culture today, that is the primary goal, to amuse ourselves to death. It is all around us. You have TV, you have movies, you have a phone that's got games and apps and information. There is so much information out of there that people will actually store information for later. I can't read all of this now, but someday I'm going to get to it. And you actually overload yourself with stuff and information. And our entire focus today is pleasure and pursuits that are worthless. We see this in our government. We we see that the pursuits of our government are not that which enables people to afford groceries and afford to rent and afford to own a home and afford a car. No, instead, everything is let us pursue things that will ultimately destroy us. Let us pursue Sources of power that don't last. Let us pursue sources of power that when it is cold will freeze on you so that your house can't be heated. Let's pursue these things. Let's pursue cars that take forever to fill up again because it's not just throwing a bunch of gas in a tank that can't go very far. Let's try to force everybody to have those. Let us pursue policies that weaken us while our enemies pursue policies that strengthen them. And don't worry about it. We've got lots of new TV shows on, lots of new uh, streaming services for you to watch. We have lots of new drinks for you to drink. We have lots of new food for you to eat. Eat and be merry. Don't worry about tomorrow. Just enjoy your life. That is where we are headed as a society and. King Lemuel says don't, or his mom says don't pursue those things. Avoid those pursuits that will waste your life. And we all have them. We all have things that we would rather do than work. We all have things that we would rather do than exercise. We all have things we would rather do than to stay healthy. We have things we would rather do. And yet, if we pursue those things, we will destroy ourselves. Avoid those pursuits that will waste your life. Jesus Christ died on the cross for us. If you believe in Him and have placed your faith in Him and He has saved you from your sins, you are bought with a price and you don't have a right to waste your life. Now we live for Him. We were once slaves to our sin. Now we are slaves to Jesus. He gives us life. He gives us freedom if we follow Him. We are bought with a price. We, we need to not waste it. We kind of jumped into verse four already. It does, I think, apply to avoid those pursuits that will waste your life. It is not, O Lemuel, it's not for kings to drink wine, or rulers to to desire strong drink. And I think that's really the. The key there, that desire to thirst after strong drink. To to drink wine to the point where, as, as earlier, we didn't get a chance to look at it in Proverbs, but it talks about those who linger long over their cup when it shines in their eyes. It's that desire. It is not for kings to desire the good things. And that's a, that's a strange thing to say because if any, in our way of thinking, if anybody has a right to drink wine and to desire strong drink, it's the king. He's the king. It's good to be the king. No. That's not what Scripture tells us. That's what the world tells us. That the wealthy get to enjoy it. It is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to desire strong drink because in verse 5, for they will drink and forget what is decreed, and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. The reason why a king should not drink and he should not desire strong drink, or should not drink wine and desire strong drink, is, is the effects that the alcohol will have on him. That he will feel good. That he will forget what is decreed. That he will not worry about other people if he gives himself over to this thing. And again, there's a difference between a person in his time that would have a, the wine with the meal and would drink, and maybe at celebration times, when, when it's a feast, you celebrate. Part of the idea of a celebration is that you feel good during it. What she's talking about, though, is that the king should not have a daily celebration. The king should not always be seeking to feel good for himself. The king has a responsibility that he would not pervert the rights of the afflicted. And literally, that word pervert means to repeat or to do again. It's not the word that we would normally use for pervert, which means to twist. It puts me in mind almost of the idea of a two-tier justice system. You know, Do it again. I do it one way for this group of people, and I do it another way for another group of people. My friends, they have a different kind of justice than I have for my enemies. No, don't pervert The rights of the afflicted. Those who are beat down, who are bent over. Literally, it's the, the sons of affliction. Those who are a group together who are living out in affliction. The king is not afflicted. The king has great things. The king has the nice palace. The king has the nice food. He has the nice clothes. But he shouldn't give himself over to his pleasure to the point... That he doesn't do his duty. That he doesn't focus on what is right. And that is the same for rulers as well. It is not for them to desire strong drink. For they will drink and forget what is decreed. They'll forget what is decreed. And, and so for us as well. We need to avoid those pursuits that will waste our lives. And we do not... We need to to not let our pleasures distract us from our duty. Do not let your pleasures distract you from your duty. Uh, Again, there are times for feasting. There are times for joy. There are times for, for, for imbibing in Scripture. He's not saying that that's not allowed and it's always bad. Jesus tells the disciples when they ask him, you know, when the question is put to him, why don't your disciples fast? He says, you can't fast when the bridegroom is here, baby. We got a party when I'm here. But don't you worry. The day will come when the bridegroom won't be here, and my disciples are going to fast then. But how awful would it be to go to somebody's wedding and to just eat the bread? Just have some water. Pass on the the steak or the nice fancy chicken that they've offered you. Don't eat any of the cake. It's too sweet, too good. No. No, there is a place for joy and there is a place for celebration and there is a place for feasting. The problem is is that the king has the ability to do it all the time. And at, at the cost of his subjects. And so she is saying, do not do that. Don't. Don't give yourself over to your pleasures to the point that you no longer do your job. Don't give yourself over to your pleasures to the point where you cannot do what is right. And and the same is true for us. We need to to have balance and measure in our lives. That we do not let our pleasures, those things that we enjoy, those things that we seek to do, those things that that fill our lives with joy. And there's nothing wrong with things that fill your life with joy. But we cannot fill our lives with so much of that That we neglect our duty. That we neglect those things that God is calling us to do. That we neglect the the people around us. And especially for a king, that comes in the idea of justice. She she continues this idea of dealing with drink. And it's kind of interesting that so much of this passage deals with drink. She says in verse 6, Give strong drink to him who is perishing. To him who is being destroyed, give him strong drink. And wine to him whose life is bitter. Almost the idea is here, hey, king, your life is really good. You don't need wine with it. I'm somewhat reminded of, I think, you know, it's one of those weird things that, that um, former President Trump doesn't drink alcohol. You know, uh, with somebody who, who, who is so given over to his desires, and, and it's amazing that he doesn't do that. And I remember seeing something where he said, can you imagine me if I drank? Like, I don't need that in my life. I would, be, I would be crazy. You know, I don't need that. I'm manic enough without drinking. Can you imagine what I would be like if I drank? And, th- and that's kind of the idea here. Hey, king, you've got it really good. Don't give yourself over to drink. Instead, give it to him who is perishing. In the other words, of the idea is, you know there are good uses for it. In a time when they didn't have painkillers, that was a strong drink was about the best painkiller you could get. Give it to the person who is perishing. He's dying, he's in agony, he's in pain. Give it to him. Give wine to him whose life is bitter. Give wine to the person whose life is bitter. Why? In verse seven, let him drink. And forget his poverty. And remember his trouble no more. Now the king is told, don't drink because you'll forget what has been decreed and you will pervert justice. But here she say, hey, you know what, if you want to give wine to somebody, give it to the person who is absolutely miserable so that they can drink and not forget. And not remember. That they would forget how miserable their life is. And this isn't saying, oh, let's, you know, that there's... Let's give wine. I mean, it's not a literal, let's have a policy and a and a plan and a you know a a group of people who go around giving alcohol to to people. But there is some truth to this, that there are people in the world, if, if you look at people and you think, why do they do that? You know, that might be the only pleasure they have in life. Why do they do that? It's not good for them. It's not, you, know, you, you see people maybe on the street corner and you think to yourself, ah, if I gave them money, uh, they would just use it to buy alcohol or they would just use it to buy drugs. And that, that's probably true. And I'm not advocating giving to people on street corners. I don't think that helps the situation. Give to the, the, the um, shelters and things like that. Give to organizations that reach out to them. But you know what? If, if a person is living under a bridge... And they don't get to bathe but once or twice a year. Their life is pretty miserable. They're probably addicted to things. They might have a mental illness. And I'm not saying that the right government policy is that we should just go out and give them drugs. They're trying that in California. It doesn't work so well. They're trying that in New York. It's not working out so well. But that is what she is saying to the king. Give it to the person who's perishing. Give it to the... Allow the people whose lives are bitter. Give them something that would... Give them some joy. It's not for you as a king. We have the opposite attitude. Oh, the king gets to enjoy it. But she's saying, no, don't. Instead, what she was encouraging him by focusing on those very people that she is supposed to, you know, in verse 5, she told him, don't drink and forget what is decreed and pervert the rights of the afflicted. Now she's talking about the afflicted, those whose lives are are perishing, those who are in sorrow, those whose lives are bitter. And she's saying, you know, give it to them. And in a way, she's saying, alleviate their suffering. Alleviate their pain. Show compassion to those who are suffering. Don't just use your joy and use your wealth and use your pleasure for yourself. But no, show compassion to those who are suffering. And and I don't think what they're doing in California, what they're doing in New York, is showing compassion. I don't think the answer to people who are addicted is give them more needles and more drugs. I don't think that's compassion. But she's saying show compassion to those who are suffering. A much different view of a king than we have. Usually those who rule don't worry about those who are suffering. They don't worry about those that are below them. They don't worry about those that are in the, gully, uh, the, the gutters and the ditches. They don't worry about them. They're too removed. Even in our country where we don't have kings, we just have people that get into government and never leave. They forget what real people are like, if they ever knew them in the first place. They don't worry about what their policies do to the people in the world. The suffering that comes. We we don't even touch, you know, the the decisions that are made in Washington, D.C. cause death and destruction around the world. And and we don't even worry about it. We don't even care. We should have compassion for those who are suffering, not seek our pleasure. Having dealt with the, the drink part of verses three, or excuse me, verses four and five. Now, King Lemuel's mother is going to deal with the rights and justice parts of the, verse 5 with the rights of the afflicted. She says in verse 8, Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all the unfortunate. Open your mouth, judge righteously, and defend the right of the afflicted and needy. So so there's repetition there. Open your mouth. Open your mouth. Open your mouth for the mute. Not open your mouth for those that already get to talk. Not open your mouth for those who are in power. Not open your mouth for your own desires. Open your mouth for the mute. Specifically, open your mouth for those who can't talk for themselves. And open your mouth for the rights of all the unfortunate. Those that are passing away. Those that are vanishing. That's what the word unfortunate means. Those that, that are just disappearing from this world. Open your mouth. Judge righteously. So, so there's the idea that he is supposed to administer justice. So the king was the judge. He's the one who's supposed to listen to the two sides and, and decide what justice is. You know, like King Solomon, when the two women came to him and they said, uh, you know, they had a disagreement, and the one said, "Uh, "This is my child; her child died," and she swapped them, and I woke up and I was had a dead child in my room, but but it's not my child. And the second woman said, "No, sir, she's lying. My child's the child that lives; her child died." And Solomon had to figure out which person is telling the truth. And so he said, I'll just chop the baby in half. You can both have half a baby. And the one said, sounds good to me. And the other one said, no. Give give her the child. Just don't kill it. And Solomon was able to determine who was right, who was lying, who deserved the child. He judged. Here King Lemuel's mother is telling him, judge righteously but also defend the rights of the afflicted and needy. As the judge, he is not to be impartial in the sense that uh, he doesn't care. He should be impartial in the sense that he isn't going to, to always go one side or the other. But she is saying the thrust of his focus needs to be defending the rights of the afflicted and the needy. The afflicted are those who are poor or humbled, bowed down, by their lives. The needy are those that are poor and want. They're struggling. They're begging. So here, in the last two verses, open your mouth. And and, and a judge, we do not expect the judge to speak very often. But she says, no, as a king, open your mouth. Speak on behalf of of those who can't speak. Those that don't get to come into your court, don't forget them. Judge righteously, defending their rights, what they need. Open your mouth for the rights of the unfortunate, for those that are afflicted and needy. This is something that really uh, came home to me this weekend. Uh, We had some friends over for dinner last night. And one of the guys, he's talking about some struggles at his church. Um, he, he's like the chairperson for a ministry that's underneath their church, and, and they're having financial issues, but the church is loaded. Just loaded. They sold property, millions of dollars. They got millions of dollars sitting in the bank account. So he, it took him 11 months to finally get in front of the finance committee. And the finance committee, mind you, they make enough on interest. The interest on the money in their bank account could take care of two years of our ministry. And they couldn't see to giving his ministry any money beyond what they've already been doing. And then he just started going into litany after litany of all different ways that they... They hide money and they twist money and they claim that they're giving so much money to the ministry when really the money that they're claiming that the church is giving is because people within the, the, the pews are designating that money. And, and he was just so frustrated. And I, I was thinking, yeah, it sounds like you're shaking the dust off your feet, right? It's time to get out of there. And he said, no. No, it's time for me to stand up and start talking to people and start asking hard questions in the next business meeting we have. Oh no, they're not getting rid of me. See, he, he's embodying this better than I ever did. Open your mouth. Talk about it. Say something about it. He's going to take some hits and, and they might chew him up and spit him out. But he's going to make them chew him up and spit him, at, him out. Because he's going to open his mouth for the mute. He's going to cry out for righteous judgment. And that's what we are called to do. To to speak up for justice. To not just let the the people get away with it. To not just let things go the wrong way, but to speak up for what is right. To speak up for those that can't speak up for themselves. To to speak up for righteousness. And, 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 And to do so righteously. That's what we are called to do as believers, that we don't just sit back and just say, oh, that's the problem over there. And I hate to say it, but that's kind of been my attitude a lot lately. Nobody's going to listen to me. Why bother speaking? It's not about whether or not we have no control of what other people will do. What we have control over is what we do. Do we stand up and speak? We have no control over what other people do. Do we choose to avoid those pursuits that will waste our lives? Do we make sure that we don't let our pleasures... We can have some pleasure, but we don't let it, we don't let it distract us from our duty. Do we choose to show compassion to those that are suffering? Do we seek opportunities to show compassion? That's a choice we get to make for ourselves how we live. Do we speak up for justice? That is a life of purpose that King Lemuel's mom is calling him to do. Notice, she doesn't tell him how to run his government. She doesn't tell him anything about raising armies or her concern about how he runs uh, the, the, um, the treasury. Her focus is on justice, on righteousness, and on him doing his job and not getting so full of all the joys that he can follow that he neglects it. And I think, I think, you know, the, the, the excellent wife and on, a lot of that has to do with her arguing against giving your strength to women. She says, don't seek quality spouse. Seek a quality spouse. Don't give yourself over all these other things. Seek justice. Seek to do justice. Don't, don't just seek your own joy and your own pleasure. And I think that's something. We need to be reminded of. It it is very easy to say, well, those problems are over there. Those problems are in California. Nobody's going to listen to us. We're from Texas. Those problems are in New York, and nobody's going to do anything about it because we're over here in Texas. But there are things here in Texas we can talk about. There, There are things in Texas we can do. And we need to strive as a people that we would live in such a way to live out the purpose God has called us for. To show compassion. To speak up for justice. To live out what God has called us to be. To, to do our duty to Christ. So I want to encourage us to apply these verses to our lives. we're not kings in the same sense. But we have just as much opportunity to, to just get lost in our own desires, our own pleasure, and those things that will eventually waste our lives. I want us to apply this to our lives and say, okay, what do I need to be doing? How can I show compassion to those who are suffering? How can I speak up for justice and righteousness and what is right? Let's consider that this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word and for the wisdom that we receive from it. We thank You, Father, for the ways that You admonish us and challenge us and show us where we are slipping away. It's so tempting in our world to just fill our lives with pleasure and distractions and entertainment. Lord, we pray that we would not become so focused on our own desires that we neglect the work You have called us to. We pray, Father, we know that there are people in our midst and around us in our neighborhoods who are suffering. We pray, Lord, that we would have hearts of compassion, that we would show compassion and find true ways to alleviate their suffering. We pray, Lord, that You would help us to speak up, that we would not be silent, but that we would share first and foremost our faith in Jesus, our hope in Him. And the fact that our country does not run by His righteousness. It is in many ways completely opposite to Him. And instead of just saying, well, that's the way the world works, but I'm going to follow Jesus. Lord, may we speak up. May we take a stand. May we cry out for what is right and just. We ask and pray in Jesus' name, amen.